Fear the Soul Harvesting with special guest Nathaniel Gillis. Episode 10, Season 2 of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin. I'm Michelle. And I'm Wayne. And we are a Michigan-based husband and wife educator and podcasting duo that after having a UFO sighting in March of 2018, have started to examine UFOs and other paranormal topics within Michigan and beyond. Topics include UFOs, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, ghosts, alternative history and archaeology, cryptids, and all things strange and paranormal. So sit back, grab a drink, and come along with us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. All right, Michelle, it is that time. Time to start investigating those things that go bump in the night. Oh, man. Episode 10 with Nathaniel Gillis. Man, this one was creepy. And I got to tell you, uh, I don't think I slept well after we talked to him. It was uh, kind of crazy, man. Uh, I'll tell you, after, you know, growing up in my childhood with reading scary stories and, you know, probably one of my favorite genres mm-hmm. is is um, like the, the true stories of haunted places. Yeah. Like the old campfire stories, right? Absolutely. Well, this one got dark. I mean, it got dark pretty fast. And when people listen to this one, you'll see what we're talking about. But this is episode 10 of season two. Man, we're almost halfway through the year already, too. Nope. I know. No, nope. no, quit, no talking quit. about that, right? <laughs> we, no, time is flying and we still have at least one more month. Well, and it is July 25th, 2022 at the time of the recording of this episode and release. We're releasing it a little bit early because of some obligations we got coming up this week. So enjoy the episode. Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, one of the first things I wanted to talk about is how I ended up going on our Facebook group and you can find us on Facebook. You know how to do that. And I asked people on the Facebook group over 5,600 members at this point. So there's a new drone that they have released video of taking off of aircraft carriers, all self-automated and everything. And I put the video up on our Facebook group and I asked people, does this make you question the three infamous Navy videos, the Tic Tac, the FLIR, and the Go Fast? And so I put yes. I think it's our tech now. No, I still think they're UFOs, UAPs. The third choice was, I still don't know as there is not enough evidence to make a good decision. 82% say no, I still think they're UFOs, UAPs, and 17% said that there wasn't just quite enough evidence yet. But 0% said yes, I think it's our tech now. So not a single person out there that answered the poll thought that this was our tech. I thought that was very telling, and I kind of agree. So, Michelle, what do you think right now? Do you think our tech at this point? Do you think they are UFOs, UAPs? 
Or is there just not enough evidence yet to convince you one way or the other? I don't think there's enough evidence yet to convince me. Even with what we saw that night? Oh, no, that's a different story because that was too large and too ominous the night that we saw that in March of 2018. Yeah. And with all the different sightings and stories that we've heard of those triangular crafts, Tough to be on the fence in this situation. It really is. Well, as we're going to find out when we listen to this interview tonight, it seems like there's a lot of crossover between aliens, the demonic, magic, and technology kind of all wrapped into one. It sounds like one hell of a science fiction story. So, I don't know. But speaking of science fiction, don't forget that we're on YouTube now. Yeah, search us out by typing in Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Remember, it's all one word, no spaces. And remember, if you have a story you would like to tell, we would like to talk to you. You can reach out to us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. Send us a brief summary of your experience and we'll contact you to discuss things further and try to get you or your story on the podcast. Yeah, that's always a fun time, and we like hearing from people and their stories. Speaking of hearing from people, we're going to have a new segment that will take place at the end of the podcast, and we are calling it Music from the Beyond. And this is where we will be featuring a local or national music act to help give them a little bit of exposure. We are accepting a single song from bands of any genre of music and anywhere in the world that would like to showcase one of their songs here on the podcast. Email us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com for details. So make sure you stick around at the end of the podcast because tonight we have 10,000 teeth. Heavy metal. If you like heavy metal, stick around. We do have an online store to help support the podcast. So if you like the podcast and would like to rock out some of the latest swag that we have, head on over to our online store, miufopodcaststore.online. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page if you would like to support the podcast there. It is patreon.com forward slash miufospep, where you can sign up. We can't wait to give you a shout out for all of your support. And speaking of that, Hava, we still see you. Thank you. Also, if you want to support the podcast, you can head on over and buy us a cup of coffee. (laughs) That's what I'm drinking now. (laughs) Absolutely. And we will drink that coffee. That's at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash M-I-U-F-O-P-O-D-C-A-Q. They cut off the podcast part for some reason, but (laughs) links will be in the show notes for all this. Good times. Give me the Java. So in bringing a shout out to one of our new sponsors, traveling near New Boston, Michigan, Hungry. Well, then you need to check out New Boston Coney and Grill tucked away at 37005 Huron River Drive with daily specials, homemade soups and desserts, and a staff that makes you feel like family. You will not be disappointed. Give them a try for dine-in or carry-out at 734-606-5313. You can find their page, including their menu, on Facebook. Bon Appetit. Yeah, that place is great. We love it. And before we jump into the news, 
We just want to remind everybody coming up this Saturday, July 30th at noon, Raymond Szymanski will be doing his presentation at Hillsdale Community Library. Join Ray as he debunks the debunkers and reveals the truth about the Michigan swamp gas UFOs as told to him by the last living military witness to those events. The presentation will be based upon the author's latest book, Swamp Gas My Ass. This title and others in the Alien Shades of Grey's trilogy may be purchased and autographed after the presentation. Once again, that is Saturday, July 30th at noon. There is no cost or registration, so join Ray and enjoy his presentation. All right, Michelle, I think it is that time. Yes, it's time for What's in the News. Yes, baby. What is in the news? God help me. From Fox News, House votes to make reporting UFO sightings easier. In May, the House Intelligence Subcommittee held the first hearing on UFOs in more than 50 years. So this is just coming out on July 14th. So we've got a recent article. The House of Representatives on Wednesday voted for an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, making it easier to report unidentified flying objects or UFOs or UAPs, as we like to call them. The amendment creates a secure reporting system for UFOs and would also prevent unauthorized public reporting or compromise of properly classified military and intelligence systems, programs, and related activities. It's meant for government workers and military personnel to report a sighting without fears of retaliation and asks for the immediate sharing of phenomena previously prohibited from reporting under any non-disclosure, written or oral agreement order or other instrumentality or means. Representative Mike Gallagher, Republican from Wisconsin, who co-sponsored the bill, said Congress must ensure the military and intelligence community are armed with the best possible information, capital and scientific resources to defeat our enemies and maintain military and technology superiority. Yeah, he added the amendment would play an important role in furthering Congress's ability to fact gather and further prove or disprove the origin and threat nature of whatever seems to be flying in our skies. Representative Ruben Gallego, the Democrat from Arizona who also sponsored the bill, said we need to empower our service members to be transparent and to drop the stigma surrounding unidentified aerial phenomena. In May, the House Intelligence Subcommittee held the first hearing on UFOs in more than 50 years. Rep. Andre Carlson, Democrat of Indiana, said in that hearing that reporting on phenomenon needs to be destigmatized. In quote, we also spent considerable efforts engaging directly with our naval aviators to help destigmatize the act of reporting sites and encounters. Carson said after saying that pilots were laughed at when they made reports, The direct results of those efforts have been increased reporting. The message is now clear. If you see something, you need to report it. And crickets from the Air Force. (laughs) It's still all Navy. Yeah. So we, we shall see how that one turns out. 
All right, Michelle, we have a fascinating guest tonight, and I know people are waiting to hear what he has to say and his research. We have the religious demonologist Nathaniel Gillis coming on, so why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about him? Well, Nathaniel Gillis is a religious demonologist and author. After living in a haunted house, Nathaniel spent 20 years of researching what it was he encountered. Nathaniel is the founder of Preternatural Epiphenomenal Philosophy. Nathaniel has sought to redefine the nature of haunting phenomena, ghosts, and high strangeness. He's often quoted for his concept of the demonic. The reason they are playing by different rules is because they are playing a different game. That quote alone creeps me out. I know, that's that's crazy. <laughs> and as people will hear about is the uh, soul harvesting. Oh, yes. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and welcome to the podcast, Nathaniel Gillis. Nathaniel, thank you for joining us tonight. For sure, for sure. Uh, Nathaniel, we, we've got to jump right in here and ask, can you tell our audience a little about yourself and what inspired you to get into researching the paranormal? So my first experience with this phenomenon was when I was eight years old. My parents had moved into a new house and the house happened to be haunted by a malevolent entity. So my, my very first experience with it was at the open house. So my, my dad had kind of taken me in and showed me what would become my future room. And I, I can still remember how it smelled. It smelled like a corpse. It smelled like death. And then I witnessed a full-bodied apparition in that room that day. And so once we moved into the house, that entity evolved into something far more evil than I could have ever imagined. Uh, and the older I got, the more I wanted uh, to just kind of understand what it was. I knew I wasn't crazy, but there was a lot of crazy stuff occurring in that home. But uh, so, so the older I became, the more I researched it, tried to get a better grasp of it all. And then it let, led me into understanding uh, various ancient manuscripts, studying the phenomenon in an ancient lens. And that was essentially demonology of the ancient Near East. Uh, so, so, you know, uh, not just... I'm going to say this too, not uh, through the religious lens in the sense that I'm looking at dogma. What I'm doing is I'm looking at people who are experiencers and antiquity and then kind of trying to understand all of that. So that's what, that's why I'm here. And that is what uh, led me into this field. How would you say that those experiences affected who you became today? Well, I, I think that, uh, that it manifested in a way that it, if anything, it proved to me that there are games being played outside of our awareness. These beings seemingly exist outside of the space-time continuum. And uh, so, you know, they're doing things to and with us, all around us. And a lot of it is ancient-based. A lot of it is found in antiquity. Uh, but if anything, it proved to me that there exists another dimension that, that we're involved in, even if we are unaware of it. And sometimes that thin or that, that veil thins enough for us to see through it 
and our eyes adjust to the darkness. And a lot of it is, it is evil. A lot of it is uh, disturbing. And uh, again, I tell everybody in my lectures, these beings are not all lovers and light. <laughs> I wish they were. But um, yeah, so there is a, there's a dimension that exists and we are interacting with it. And we're still trying to understand what that is. Now, what has your research found out about this other dimension that that when this veil thins and we can see through it and they can interact with the world, what what is this other place? We would consider it to be the afterlife. Uh, that's to, to the degree of research that I've done and others. Now, I'm not alone in this, but whatever and wherever, whenever they exist, it's outside of space and time. And so that's why they have the ability to abduct the soul and the body. It's not just nuts and bolts. There's consciousness to it as well. And I think that's what we're learning the deeper we get into this research. Uh, but in terms of the ancient lens, absolutely, these beings are either disembodied, right? Or, or they do exist in some form of the hereafter. I've had this question in my mind for a while. I know people who are religious and, you know, will go to church every Sunday, sometimes twice a week, if not more. And, you know, they swear up and down on the Holy Bible and the Holy Ghost and God is real and Jesus mm -hmm. is love. And, and even, you know, I know a lot of people who are Muslims and religious and the whole nine yards. And there's these people though, that will say that they believe in the Bible or other religious mm -hmm. text, but yet they deny the supernatural aspect <laughs> of that book mm -hmm. or, or books, right. their, their teachings. So they will tell you in one breath that, yeah, they believe in the afterlife and we're going to go to heaven and all this stuff. But then when you talk about aspects of the Bible that they're summoning ghosts to talk to, um, was it the, mm -hmm. the witch of which of indoor and yeah, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So can you kind of give us your take on that? Yeah. You know, I find that position um, in, in both religion and ufology because in religion, you know, these aren't UFOs and in, in ufology, these aren't spirits. Right. And so we kind of have an either or, diagnosis occurring it's either or and so we're, we're dealing with the duality and if anything this phenomenon has proven to us in every way shape and form that it is not a, a it is not a dichotomy rather it is a duality in other words it's not this or that it's both of those both of this this is the phenomenon and so even in biblical antiquity we have uh, necromancy occurring where they would merge consciousness with metal and then implant that piece of metal into a body. And the consciousness of that being would stretch into the skin of that person. And so even as early as the Iron Age, we have what we would consider to be the modern day implant. So it's not consciousness or metal or materialism or spirit. It's, it's both. They're both present in this phenomenon. And I, I think that, uh, again, that does point to its nature. It's the way that they self-replicate. And I won't keep rambling, but that, that's where I stand with it. And, but the, what's really interesting to me, though, is, is there a lot of people, especially ufologists, are equally dogmatic about this as your religious people, right? Your, your religious fundamentalists are just, you know, demons, demons, demons. And, and without getting the full breadth 
of the phenomenon. Uh, in many cases, at least the people I've dealt with, you know, when they say demons, they, they don't really understand it, you know, and vice versa. So what happens, really, it really sucks. But if I could say that, is what happens, people in ufology hear lazy research going on in the evangelical community, and they say, okay, if that's what you're saying, and they're, you know, then I'm saying you're wrong. And then I come along and say, hey, hey, the conversation has to be had. It's worthy of having, but we have to have it in the correct historical context. And I think, if anything, that's what I've been able to contribute to the field, hopefully. Where does UFOs and aliens fit into all of this? And is there a relationship between the demonology, the paranormal, and the UFOs we're seeing today? Absolutely, 100%. Uh, I do not believe in the ET hypothesis. Uh, they tell us they're ETs, but they also tell us they're Deering Edna. I, I, you know, so, so my research has been deep within the incubi phenomenon where these beings will appear to women as husbands. I don't know how much I can get into with this, uh, <laughs> this aspect of it. You know, it's a lover. It's an ex-boyfriend. It's, it's a program. These are not people. They're not persons. They're not ETs. It's a program designed to bypass the sensory awarenesses of the human mind and the human uh, body. Uh, it's just like when you get into the witch era literature with Ariel's Ariel Masters has a book called Eros and Evil, but in the Middle Ages, we had witches that were being abducted by these demons, and uh, it was like a theatrical production, okay? You know, these beings were taking them to sabbats, and they were having, uh, they were copulating, uh, with these corpses and demons, and then for a fleeting moment, the frequency fuzzes out, and these witches realize that these weren't demons or corpses. They weren't horns and hooves, that they were being poked and prodded by metallic objects that were tailored. How much can I get into? Like, can I, can I, is this, uh, I, can I talk about how they were tailored to the sexuality of the individual? Go for it, man. Go okay. for it. Because okay. I, I'm thinking in in my head, it's like I'm thinking of, you know, implants. And then there's the whole idea of fey uh, right. abduction and kids being switched out. And it seems like all of these things have an underlying tone of being the same. But it's, it's exactly like you say, no, those are aliens, not demons. And then the religious right. people throw and hit you in the head with a Bible and say, no, they're not aliens, they're demons. And, and I don't think anybody really knows where they're right. at with their conversation. Correct. Right. And we as researchers and experiencers, we're searching for new vocabulary. And that's, you know, we're still groping in the darkness. We know for sure we experience something, right? We're just trying to understand what that something is, where it is, what it is, and when it is. So, so getting back to this, this narrative in which our literature, so yeah, so, so when they came to their senses in a, in a way, they, they looked around and they realized that they were being manipulated, that these beings had presented themselves to demons because that's who the witch wanted to copulate with. Right. Then they, you know, they were calculated having sex with, with, with corpses up until the frequency stopped. And then these people are looking around thinking, oh, my God. I'm not where I thought I was. I and I'm not I, I'm not who I was. I thought I was with. So the problem originates in the fact that they are architects of deception. And they will create entire productions like it's to, to deceive, to 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 feed into the belief system of the individual. I have, uh, like I told you, I've worked with incubi cases, succubi cases, uh, women who, who go to bed at night and they'll think that they're with their husband. Uh, you know, 30 minutes later, it's not their husband at all. It's a being that used that memory, that role to step into. 
And when it was done and when it got what it needed or what it extracted or implanted, it's gone. Now, this is, a again, the problem with demonology is that demonology is an incomplete answer to an already incomplete question. That's where we are. So when it comes to the whole idea of demonology, can, can we at least get some kind of a definition on demonology right. and what demons are? I think everybody would tell you the nuts and bolts explanation of UFOs and aliens. Oh, there's some... There are some beings from another world that are using some kind of technology to travel vast distances to come visit us. So I think we're okay on that level. But what about demonology, demons? You're mentioning like succubi, incubi. And then that brings the question in my mind about the replication. So so in the biblical text of of these, uh, I want to say creatures, but it's a good word for the, it. Good word the, for it. The Nephilim, uh, the mm-hmm. fallen ones, the shaitan is words that come to mind because I do have Muslim friends that I've talked to, and that's mm-hmm. what they they just call them all. All of these fallen angels are the adversary. That so that's where they come from with the shaitan versus Satan, and then there's like one leader, but it's not Satan. It, it's a it's a totally different idea and I could be getting that wrong but but they they were supposedly wiped out in the flood but what it sounds like to me is that they weren't wiped out and now they're like this incorporeal type of beings that do these abductions and things like that to replicate and take over a body I mean maybe you right. can break I'm throwing a lot at you maybe you can okay. break it's all okay. this stuff down and and put it out there in in a coherent way <laughs> It's a, hey man, I'm going to do my best. Uh, so what's happened with researchers, especially in the evangelical movement, is they limit themselves to Western scholarship. It's not very Semitic, right? It's not very Eastern. And so if we go back to the earliest texts that refer to an angel in its own way, uh, this is fascinating. This is, like, this is the idea. See, a fallen angel has always been a paradox in the Semitic consciousness, because if it's fallen, it's not an angel. It's been strict. If it's an angel, it's not fallen. And so, so what early on in my research, what I, what I try to do is understand that paradox. What do, you, what do we mean by this? Why is it that when Yahweh talks about people who die in the field or not, or are not buried or people who are murdered or people that suffer, you know, tragedy, he talks about them just like he talks about fallen angels. They fell, what? They fell to their death, or, you know, they fell in the sense of, uh, it's a euphemism or allegory, they, they died. It all stems back to a foundational understanding in the Babylonian flood epic. In the Atreus epic, it talks about how the ghost of a man is made from the flesh of a god. And so the idea, the earliest text prior to being just kind of taken over by, by Greek mythologists Uh, What we have here is literally the disembodiment of the ghost and that apparitional quality possessing some form of deity. It's not just human. It's evolved into something. Okay. And so the, the ancient concept of the God ghost 
originated in the idea that there is the angel part of us. And then, then, then there was the fallen part of the man. The man fell because he died, but the angel portion outgrew. It's almost like it, I call it molting. It molted the body. And now that apparitional essence of our being has the flesh of a God. And so here we have the paradox in the same place at the same time. Uh, so so it is a, it's a reference to the afterlife. This is often found in biblical antiquity. That's why in the Witch of Endor, specifically, as you mentioned, when Saul went to see her, she did not conjure up a, a familiar spirit. I, I had a, a theologian and organization challenging me to a debate over that. His scholarship was Western, right? He didn't realize that when these Hebrew authors employed language, they did it for a reason. The Hebrew f- uh, word for familiar spirit is Yadonai. And it's not employed in that passage. What they, what the Bible says is that she conjured up a ghost. But that ghost of Samuel is, again, this is a reference to you that it this epic and the ghost God. That ghost of Samuel was called an Elohim. And that's why in the King James Version, she says, I see a God coming out of the earth. And so all of this is, is in comparative literature, this is what authored the understanding of angel. What are these beings? Who are these beings? Were they once embodied? And so that understanding is how we arrived at the Rephaim in Genesis 6 and the Nephilim. What, what, what history weaves a tale of is this, that we have people who were disembodied, but what they were trying to do is create bodies for themselves again. And so through that, that self-replication process, they would create a body and then they would possess it. And so, so what we have right now in the 21st century is we're reading these ancient texts. We're completely immune, right, to the historical foundation that all of these legends and lore, they, they originated from. And so the biggest thing, and what I've been dealing with lately is people, especially in evangelicals, oh, my God, they're just giants. They're not just giants. The Hebrew word rephaim, it's the same, it's kind of the same word in the Neo-Assyrian text. I'm not going to get too academic here but you know it's 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 the same things but they were not just giants that's the hardware but they were the rephaim the deceased that was the software so this gets back to the materialistic aspect of the phenomenon it's not just the physicality of it it's the consciousness that exists in it i hope that makes sense so then what is a demon a demon would be that of a mutated ghost uh, classically speaking, these were pe- were people who, for whatever reason, were earthbound. They could not transition to wherever Sheol was or even hell or heaven. They, they were earthbound. And uh, they sought re-embodiment. We have ancient manuscripts that, that refer to these spirits as restless. They couldn't rest, right? They couldn't rest. And so I was reading a Neo-Assyrian text earlier tonight. It was a funerary text. When it talks about a curse, if you, it's basically somebody was buried and, and they left something in the casket, or the, yeah, the casket that said that if you, if you disturb me, I'm going to disturb you and you'll die, but you'll never find rest. And so the idea was that these restless spirits were liminal. In other words, they were in between two worlds. And so, so that they, they were trying to be re-embodied again. Uh, and that, that gets into high magic, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about all of that tonight. My wife and I, when we had our experience, 
which kind of brought us into this whole field kind of blind. And as two teachers, I'm a science teacher. She's an English teacher. And we saw some type and kind of almost passed directly underneath it, a nuts and bolts hovering triangle with three lights in the corner. It had to be close to 300 feet on a side. It was huge. It was silent. It almost had a mirage quality to the body of this thing. I was driving, so there was no way I was going to take any kind of pictures of it or anything. And all I thought was, get the hell out of here. It had a fight or flight response. And I know I couldn't fight. So it was, I'm, I'm stepping on the gas. She looked at me and said, when did our military get something like this? Because, of course, that's where my brain is at the time. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. We, we, well, yeah. And we were very close to, we live close to Detroit Metro Airport and Willow Run Airport is kind of in between us and Ann Arbor. And when I first saw this thing and I saw the three lights, I thought it was landing lights on an aircraft. And I'm mm-hmm. like, this thing's coming down. It's, it's a very large jet airliner and it's, it's coming down here in the middle of Canton and it's crashing and we're right in front of it. Then as I got closer, I could see very faintly that it was not a jet and it was not moving. It just barely moving. It was like a slow Mm -hmm. hover and we passed kind of underneath it. As I went around in a a Michigan, kind of what we call the Michigan U-turn kind of an on-ramp thing where you Mm -hmm. basically do almost like a 360 to get on, well, more like a 270. So we could head south on the expressway to get home. And I'm just flooring it. And this thing rotated and just kind of followed along the side of us. And Michelle had seen the back of it. And what was it that you had seen on the back? Didn't you say you? Like uh, red rectangular lights. Yeah, they were like on the back of it. And, you know, and she's watching it. And we go down a sound abatement in the expressway, lose sight of it come back up a little bit and it's just gone but the skin of it had like a mirage quality to it like heat radiating up off of blacktop in the summertime it was really strange and because none of the it was like the lights that were coming from the street lights underneath it that's how low this thing was it was just kind of like bleeding off to the sides of it like around and this was at like 2 30 in the morning we weren't drinking or anything we were just heading Mm -hmm. home and and that was you know that was what we saw and so i come from it not only from a a materialistic standpoint because i saw this thing and it's some type of nuts and bolts creation at least to my mind and i also come from a science background where it's you know now now my whole science background has been blown apart i'm at the point where it's like very dualistic there is Mm -hmm. the material side of things the science Mm -hmm. aspect and there's a whole nother realm that we have forgotten about and been disconnected from for a very long time but this thing i saw that had that has to be nuts and bolts there in michelle saw it as well So I guess through all of that, my question is, what is this technology then that they're using? Or is it, is it not technology? Are they manipulating our heads? What, what is going on with this? Do you, do you have a thought on that? Yeah, 100%. So originally these beings 
well, now we can call them beings, but they suffer from what I call the disability of being. And so the disembodiment aspect of them manifested as one who could be without being a being. Just once they're a being, it's disembodied. There's, some, there's a form to it. And so what they tried to do is they tried to compensate with technology what they had lost. And so dealing with the nuts and bolts aspect, there is consciousness involved. We have experiencers who are on nuts and bolts ship. But just like with the teraphim, or when I said they merged consciousness with metal, they'll tell you clear as day, there was a soul merged with the ship itself. It was alive. And so to, to, to date, we don't know if that is AI or I think it is, but it's in the sense of that it's not an artificial intelligence. It's consciousness that has learned, again, how to merge with technology. And now you think and you're somewhere, right? And we, we have evidence of that in abduction accounts where these beings now, they'll, embodied, they'll come to you and they'll say, okay, they'll pull the soul out of the body. They'll teach you how to fly the craft. That's very weird. You're out of body, but you're flying the craft. How? Betty Lucas said they pulled her soul out and they put her in a, a seat and the seat was conformed to her apparition. Right? And then when she was embodied and alive, she's dead now. God, God rest her soul. She's awesome. Amazing person. But when she was embodied, she never flew the craft. So what this points to, and this is a darker aspect of this. This is about soul hunting. It points to them educating the soul. They're not teaching muscle memory here. Right? And so, so what this does, again, it points to the aspect of it not being either or, but both. Uh, even deeper than that, when you get into Jack Parsons' work and Aleister Crowley's work, Parsons was furthering his scientific method by performing rituals that contacted these beings, these things, whatever they are. And so he would perform, Kabbal well, they were bastardized Kabbalistic rites. And then he would get down, he would download these uh, references and scientific, scientific methods, and it furthered his, his, his rocket program. So that alone should tell us that, hey, listen, these beings are not just using uh, various methods of esotericism to reach us, right? They're, there's all, they're also giving us insight into, okay, what are some of these UFOs? And I, I did a lecture the other day talking about uh, some of these ancient texts and how that these, these things would create a concrete object, something that can be seen and perceived by our senses. And uh, we see this in funerary texts and prayers. But the, what, one of, what was fascinating is our ancestors were, were more afraid of the conjurer that was in the concrete than they were whatever technology they witnessed in the woods. So let me give you a case in point. So like what, what's happening is you'd be walking in the woods and you would see something that's touch, you could touch it, you could see it, you could smell it, you can hear it, all that stuff. It's available to our perceptions. And what they were dealing with is while they're staring at that concrete object, the conjurer was there. And the idea was that while, while they were distracting the body, they were extracting a soul. And so while I do 100% believe that this is a nuts and bolts phenomenon, I also believe that a lot of this stuff is designed to capture the imagination to bypass all of that. And like, like Grant Cameron calls it, it's the wow factor. Now I have who I really want. And so just as we have case studies of us interacting with the concrete nuts and bolts aspect, 
we have even more uh, case studies of people interacting with the conjurer that is within it. And I think that if anything, that, that does reach a, a level of alarm for me. Because what Crowley and even L. Ron Hubbard and Jack Parsons and Edward Kelly, Jaunty, all of these people, what they were trying to do was see into that dimension. What they did not realize was as they were seeing, they were being seen. And so we, we know they exist. We know these ships exist. Uh, and I do believe it is a high form of, of magic, also a high form of technology. Now, Jack Parsons, wasn't that the JPL guy? I don't know. I don't know. I know he was masked. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. JPL. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. 100%. I guess I don't know much about that. I mean, I've heard of Crowley. I mean, everybody's kind of heard of Crowley and Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard and, and that kind of thing. But Parsons, that sounds interesting. Can you give us a little bit of information on on what he was doing and tied up with these guys too? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what's really interesting about this is, see, it goes all the way back to Kabbalistic magic. And it goes back to a guy named Abramel and the mage. And so Abramel and the mage, uh, he had students and he taught them. He wrote a book on his magic and high magic and how to contact these entities. Uh, then a lifeless Levi, uh, and took, took all of his literature and his rituals and kind of propagated his teachings. And, and both of these people were God-fearing, okay? They, they feared God. Uh, matter of fact, that was the beginning of their wisdom. That you couldn't be a magician in their line of work if you did not first have a fear of the Holy One of Israel. It wasn't even other guy. It was just one God. Uh, well, what Jack Parsons did is he kind of bastardized that and said, I don't have to have a fear of God. I don't care. And this is what this this is this is terrifying. Uh, let me back up and say this. I'm going to preface what I'm going to say with this. Uh, the The shortest horror story ever written was the the last man on earth is alone in his house, and there came a knock on the door. The fear originates in the idea that we know not what's behind the door. We know for sure we're the only ones here, or at least, and we know something exists, but we don't yet understand what it is. What Crowley and what Parsons were doing is they were kind of changing small nuances, minute aspects of these rituals they had inherited from life of Levi and Brahma Major. And it should have never worked. So when they performed the rituals, right, they were tweaked. They should have never reached somebody. Does that make sense? It should have never yeah, worked. Absolutely. No one should have answered. And yet what was happening is they were performing sex magic. They were performing their Babylon workings and they were conjuring beings that were giving them technologies that otherwise they would have never, ever had. The problem, and this gets into the Collins elite research, the problem is at the very end of Jack Parsons' life, he was performing a ritual to gain more access to this high technology and it exploded, blew them all, all across the room. But even in, this is interesting too, and I don't want to picture it, it's all, it's all on the same subject. In his diary, this is a Collins Elite Research, they discovered that he believed that when he dies, that the same beings that are in these ships, the same things, the same same entities that he's been performing rituals to will harvest his soul. And he will be with them in these ships. So it is high magic 
uh, and it's also high technology. I think that's important. It, that kind of sounds like the, was it the Heaven's Gate kind of cult idea? Yeah. Right, right. You, you know, they kill themselves and they're going to go and join creatures on a ship. Now, were they in contact with somebody and lied to just so they could kill themselves and have their souls harvested? And then to what point? I don't know. I I know that uh, it does sound like the, the leader was an abductee or an experiencer. He had to get this stuff from someone. Uh, you know, I mean, this is even before a lot of the OBE, NDE literature came out with respect to the abduction phenomenon. You know what I mean? So it was kind of the first of its kind. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I can't tell you where their souls are. But by looking at the literature we have with Parsons, you know what I mean? The soul hunters, the motors, they will take the soul. Uh, and we have cases of that going through all, throughout all kinds of fields of study. But it does sound a lot like it. It's disturbing. Because yeah. they they dispossess their own bodies uh, because they believe they would be taken up into a ship. <laughs> I wish not. I wish none of this was true. <laughs> well, I mean, we can't prove the one aspect is true, but we do know that these people killed themselves thinking what they did. Right. And is right. that all that really matters? I mean, if we're talking about warping reality based on our consciousness and the effort and energy we put into things mm-hmm. it, maybe that's their reality now very well could be very well could be i mean i i know for a fact that uh at least experience, some experiences are reporting that when they're in these ships they're witnessing apparitions of deceased loved ones holy smokes i mean is that person the real apparition i don't want it to be I, I mean, I know we have other cases where these beings will appear as ghosts of loved ones or friends. And, and at the end, you know, you realize, oh, my God, that wasn't them at all. Uh, but let's just go down that rabbit hole for a moment. I mean, what if they have ghosts? What if they are hunting souls? And what if that is the kind of soul that these experiencers are witnessing when they say, listen, I was on the ship for two minutes and realized there's a soul in the metal, like there's consciousness in it. We always, at least I have, I assume for a little bit that the, the consciousness of the entities themselves, what if it's not? You know what I mean? And, and that's, uh, <laughs> that's disturbing. I don't want to think like that, but everything's on the table. Everything's on the table here. Well, would that offer any sort of question um, to the folks who talk about seeing a light with the near-death experiences? Yes, this is Ray Fowler's work. Absolutely. You know, I, oh Lord, I hate to say this here lately. I mean, let's look at it on the face here. You have aspects of the NDE and OBE experience uh, that, that are similar, right? You go into a tunnel, you see a white light, you're greeted by a deceased ancestor, or you're greeted by a being. Sometimes it's Jesus. Some, even it's in a religious and cross-cultural. Sometimes it's Muhammad. Sometimes it's nobody, you just feel a white light. And what's, what's disturbing to me is how none of them are alike. Once you get past beyond the, the tunnel of the light, very rarely do you have a frame of reference to where you say, okay, we know for sure that was this place or that was this experience. The same person, there's one, you know, one person that says, okay, I was out of my body and I met Jesus. You know, we're, we're led to believe like that's a literal place, Right. 
it's a dimension of existence where you can point a finger at and say, listen, man, like I was there. And then you assume that when someone dies, everybody goes to that place. I would, or at least some or most. But when we're dealing with out of uh, at least NDEs, rarely do they coincide. They complement each other um, very little. I mean, outside of just those two aspects of it. And so my question here is, are these beings the same beings we're meeting during NDEs and OBEs? And I think even if we get into the the, the new literature out with uh, the book Beyond UFOs and the Free Study, yeah, I mean, it points to that because at least some of this occurring, we have a case study of a young man who had a, a nearly fatal car accident and he was out of his body. And to any other ufologist, it would sound like an abduction account, but it was a near death experience. And he meets these beings and they tell him, your people do not have the ability to put your body together again. We do. (laughs) We'll keep you alive if you agree to become our prophet. He was out of body, just like all these other people are. He meets beings just like they did. And so uh, Lou Elizondo, I know there's controversy with him and I, I'm not on one side or the other. I'm just kind of, I'm in my own little corner of research. Yeah, one I thing agree. He gets... I'm just, we're just kind of sitting <laughs> back and, and watching the, the tennis ball go back and forth right now because yeah. it's so hard yeah. to say. Oh, me too, man. Me too. I've got, I've got friends that are on both sides of it. Um, but he suggested something that needs to be investigated. He said that, you know, what if these beings are the same beings that we're meeting in all of the above, in the NDE, in the OBE, right? And maybe I'm leaning towards that because, again, there's no uniformality here. It's just, you know, step one, two, and three are the same. And then once once you're on that next level or next dimension, everything, you know, it's whatever. Uh, So do I, okay, people are going to ask me, do I believe in real NDEs? Absolutely, I do. I believe that's authentic. And we have real cases. However, I also believe that these beings can manipulate the perception. You know, like I said, they're architects of deceit. And they sometimes, again, this gets an ancient text where when the soul is out of body, they can capture it. Uh, so that's where we are, man. Well, I got something to add for you to yeah. maybe you can dig into a little bit. This has been a this has been kind of a thing since the Joe Rogan experience and and Joe Rogan's been out there doing a lot of talking and there does seem to be some uniformity in some of this stuff. And and I might throw this into like the old, the, the out of body experience or the near death experience, but these guys that go into these sensory deprivation tanks, and I guess it's being studied by Harvard now under Mm -hmm. like ayahuasca and they have these quick, out of body or at least trip type of situations. And they're all reporting Mm -hmm. the same type of animals and, and beings and geometric shapes and things like that. Have you dug Mm -hmm. into any of that for like this commonality? Yeah. So we're dealing with uh, the methotripoline and DMT. Uh, yeah, so you, you, most people say they meet elves or they meet gestures, right? Almost like a clown, but not really a clown in the classic sense. Or kind of like the the like the Aztec type shapes yeah. in artwork, or like the jaguar type creatures, or mm-hmm. you know, they, it seems to be something similar to that. And when you're talking about piercing this veil in these 
experiences and there being a connection. I never heard anybody talk about these people taking, you know, trips and seeing the right. same type of things and connecting those. So I'm just wondering, like I said, if, well, if you've looked into that. Yeah. I, you know, the question is, wait, is it real? Is it really occurring to them? Uh, it goes back to a Bromelin the mage where he, he was going throughout the world trying to, you know, find all of these magi, magicians and sorcerers to study under. And he, he found one lady who was claiming to exist out of body. She said, I can leave my body at any time. And so he was like, well, I want to try it. I'll study underneath you for a couple of years and teach me everything you have. And so it was interesting because before every episodic experience of being on a body, she would take a certain plant. And so she was telling him all of this. And so finally he goes, okay, I'll take the plant. And sure enough, he experienced something, right? It didn't, you know, influence his brain and everything. And uh, so then he comes out of it and he starts kind of putting two and two together. And he's saying, okay, so are, he's talking to her, like, are you telling me that you're really out of body? She says, absolutely. Well, I, I don't believe it. Why? Because you're taking this and I've been watching you the whole time. It's funny, though, because it originated. It's hilarious. It started out with her saying they're taking my body. And then when he busted that, no, they're taking my soul. Right. And so when he was saying, well, how much of the brain is being influenced here because you're ingesting something? Let's get into, you know, even again, the witch air literature, it's called Drake Apothic, the apothecary where you would ingest something and it would change the compound of your brain. And so you would experience something. I don't know if it's real, right? I don't know if it's an, if it's an exterior entity. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like with, like with uh, the Institute for American Institute for psychical research, they did a study on apparitions and we have many apparitional cases where these people had the inability to project that it could not be, uh, originated from their mind or consciousness because a lot of these people that were witnessing, they had no idea who had, they even died or they didn't even know these people. So I think that a lot of that falls underneath, again, uh, something influences the brain and you're meeting these things. Are they real? I don't know. I don't know. I do know at least in apparitional research, yes, these, being, these, these apparitions are existing outside of our awareness, our memory, I think that that is a little bit more of a concrete, right, evidential process than what Rogan has been talking about. I do like the deprivation study, though. Uh, like back when I was evangelical, we had guys that kind of did something like that. They would, they would go out, they would fast for like a week or two, right? They would deprive yep. themselves. Then when they, they would show up to minister, holy smokes, dude their vibration was wild. Everything was different. So I believe that works. Um, but I mean, what is death? Let's, let's go there for a sec. What is death? But the shutting down of the natural senses. What's it do? It heightens that inner existing potentiality, right? You, you, you kill one to expose the other in a sense. So I think that has to do with a lot of it. Uh, let me ask you a question, because I sat with my mom when she was in hospice and was dying. And, you know, there's always that talk of the concept of going home. When you have a loved one, and maybe you've thought about this, maybe not, and they talk about seeing relatives, their parents, siblings, that someone is there waiting for them. What, I mean, what do you think of the, I mean, what do you think of that? Okay, so I think that there are two phenomena occurring. 
in this research. I believe that some of these soul hunters are mirroring real, authentic near-death experiences. I think that's occurring. So, you can, so I think they're, they're occurring in the same time, in the same field. So going back to the idea of ancestors manifesting to people who are about to transition, I 100% believe that's real. Okay, this goes back to antiquity and the belief that you're gathered to your ancestors. There's a, a Hebrew commentarian by the name of Nahum Sarna. He wrote a book on Genesis, and he talks about all the patriarchs in Genesis, how that it was said of them that they were died and were either buried or gathered to their ancestors. The problem is, this is, this is fascinating, is that Moses was buried in an unmarked grave, but he was also gathered into his ancestors. So the idea that while you're transitioning, that ancestors who have already transitioned emerge, I think that's true 100%. But see, in theology, they have what's called type and shadow. You have something that's real, it's occurring. And then the shadow of it is that something else comes along and because it has an example to point to, it has something to mirror. Okay? And so with this phenomenon, do I believe that's occurring? 100%. I went and prayed for a lady who saw that, who experienced that. You know, and it's, it's, it's really interesting because it's not confined to just one religion. It doesn't matter who you are. In every religion, everywhere across the world, you know, people die and they meet their ancestors. Uh, but also, I do believe 100%. That these soul hunters are using that as a mask, at least at first, right? Oh, I'm your ancestor, or I'm Jesus. I had one lady who was told during an abduction, she had called on Jesus, first of all, and uh, Jesus manifested, held out his hand and said, all souls are mine. All seed belongs to me. So I think both phenomena are occurring. One is real, but I think that they're, they're using that to piggyback on as well. To what end? We don't know. What we do know for sure is that at least in out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences, uh, not, not just, okay, somebody that dies, right? They, they pass, they transition, translate, whatever you want to call it. Uh, with respect to abduction accounts and NDEs and OBEs, the soul hunters would appear as someone they would trust, they would believe in. If they were, if they were Christian, it's Jesus. If they're Muslim, it's Muhammad. But it, it only, it's only for a certain amount of time until that person realizes this is not who I thought they were. Now, I, I see less of that occurring uh, with actual cases of death, right? Or at least somebody who's died. That, that's not, I don't see as much of that as I do people who are being put back in their body, right? So, so what I see often is case studies where somebody's abducted and upon the abduction, instantly it's a deceased loved one or, or uh, you know, it's Jesus, like I said. Now, to what end, again, I think it's like a theatrical production. This, this bleeds into the psychology aspect of it. Uh, or I have case studies on my own, not, not just what I've read, but what I've experienced and worked with where the entity can literally figure out, it's like a file, go through your consciousness and see which role it can play. Uh, the, the, the young lady I worked with in India, who uh, these beings manifested to in the image of lovers, boyfriends, uh, it would appear to, to her like in the image of her memory. And so like her last memory of that person she had, then it would manifest, you know, 
And so what it's doing is, okay, it's, it's manufacturing, and I hate to say it like this, it's almost a manufactured consent. It's the essence of deception where there, and I call this in my book, The Skin That Crawls, I call it the temptation of belief. It's not enough for me to appear to you as this. I need you to believe I am who I am appearing as. That's when the manufacturing of consent originates. And, and that's when, okay, so what these beings have done throughout abduction accounts, even in DEs and OBEs, is upon meeting them, they'll feed into that, that, that theme. You know, they'll feed into that role up until either you realize, oh my God, this is fraudulent, or until they're done doing what they're doing. And then at that point, all bets are off. They do whatever. Uh, we had, uh, Dr. Carla Turner had a case study of, of again, we get, we're going to get the guides tonight, by the way, hopefully, because this goes along with what we're talking about. Uh, Dr. Carla Turner had an individual who was, he's a psychic, he was working with guides and was having success with it. Uh, but his guides abducted him. What? And in this experience, they go to the grandmother and they try to mate with her. Now, she, upon realizing this, she instantly gives them a role to play, not realizing it. I've only been with one man. It's my husband. He's been deceased now for 11 years. Right? What happens? From the darkness emerges her husband. So do I believe that these are existing and that they're real? Do I believe that there are people who are dying and being gathered under them? Absolutely, 100%, right? But that's the type. That's the type. The shadow form of what they're doing is that, especially in these OBEs, NDEs, all that, abductions, they're using that type to mirror. And so literally, it's like this. I'm the same ancestor that you're going to meet when you die. I'm just meeting you now. Right. And that is, to, at least in my research, it's diabolical, diabolical. Yeah, yeah that's, it, it really is. Hey, everyone, we hope you're enjoying the podcast. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors and some friends of the podcast. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everyone. This is Jared Murphy of NotAliens.com, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle from Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hey, 
Hey there, it's Richard Serrett, occasional weekend guest host of Coast to Coast AM and host of The Conspiracy Show. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle's Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What's up, everyone? This is Burton. And Aaron from Lost in the Dark Podcast. And raise your horns because you're listening to Wayne and Michelle from the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. What is up, you guys? It's your girl, Gemma Jade from Gemma Jade YouTube, Moonbear Oracle, Paranormal Chop Shop. You're here listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hi, this is Chris Lato of the Chris Lato YouTube channel, retired F-16 pilot turned UAP investigator, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, this is Terry Lane Keel, director of MUFON memberships, investigator, demonologist, and author of Alien Healing, the true story of a benevolent extraterrestrial. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hello everyone, this is Michael Schrett, military aerospace historian and private pilot, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, and we're glad to have you with us today. Hi, this is Sev Talk from MUFON and the author of You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens and the host of Alien Spirit TV with Sev on YouTube. You're listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? This is Big Willie with the UFO Garage podcast, where we're all about UFOs, aliens, and all things weird. I also run a podcast, Band of Bearded Brothers, with my brother Micah, B-O-B-B for short. And you are listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. So take a seat and buckle up as they educate us on all things woo. Hi, this is Alex Nowitzki, and you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What I'd like to show you guys is the infinite pool of experience and awareness, which can be found at luciuslabs.com. And it's a book that I've written after basically meditating for 27 years. Basically goes over modern physics. It takes you all the way from modern accepted physics to understanding that we live in a layering of conscious types within time and that our consciousness is eternal. Are are they feeding off of that fear that, you know, the realization of you're abducted and you're thinking, oh, look at the, the beautiful earth brothers are here to save the planet. I gave permission at some point to be taken on a ship. Everything's lovely. And then all of a sudden snap of the fingers 
and they're somewhere cold and having, you know, implants put into them and, and everything else. And then is it uh, some type of adrenaline, that fear response that they're now going to feed off of and and that's what they crave as a soul hunter. Um, There's a working theory that I'm entertaining that it's craving attributes, craving the human experience. If these are in fact, formerly human disembodied then more than food more than water right it's the, the desire to be a being embodied again uh so i don't know I, I hope first of all i hope i answered the previous question uh, well enough you know uh but with respect to this we don't know i i i tell you what i was working with remote viewer and uh he was working with guides it's actually working with the sun however i'm sorry he was also a remote viewer though his son he was telling me how his father was famous in his local town. You know, you know, my dad, my dad was a wealthy guy. He was, you know, we had guides that he worked with and he would go out of body and meet these guides of his and, uh, and they would give him insight and he would get back in body. He'd call up a politician or a celebrity and say, Hey, listen, you know, and you know, you have to write contracts, literally get tons of money to do this, man. And this is what, this is what my guy tells us, you know, about your election or about this game you're going to be playing, this series you're going to be in. Uh, then he said that one night his father came down the stairs incoherent, inconsolable, wide as a ghost, has a massive heart attack. When they get him to the hospital, this is a whole other concept, man. This gets deep and dark quick. In the hospital, they're taking his shirt off to put his robe on, and subderminally beneath the skin, moving to the surface, are religious amulets. This is why demonology is incomplete. Okay, these these amulets were interreligious. They they were the Star of David, the cross, and then there were Egyptian hieroglyphics in an arch. Okay, so so what happened? They asked him what had happened. He said, "Well, I met my guides again, and it was just like an abduction account." He said he was in this silver room. These beings flanked him. These things flanked him to the right and left. And then they were telling him something, and they said in, in a mid-sentence, mid he looks at them and realizes, I'm being deceived. This is, man, you want to talk about me getting passionate. This is what I'm really passionate about, man. I'm getting all worked up here. What's happening, right? Because he realizes they're playing a role. And, and this gets into the idea of predictable forms of belief, Right? Well, I've come to you like this up until what? Until now, <laughs> they have you on the hook. Now they're going to want something from you. Same thing with Jack Parsons, right? I'm going to get all this insight into technology in as deeply, as deep as you think you're looking into the darkness. They're looking into you deeper. And there's going to come a, God, I got chills. There's going to come a time when they're, when they're going to shut off communication. And you're no longer going to allow to use them. Allow, you're no, they're no longer going to allow themselves to be used by you. And they're going to come knocking on the door. And guess what? You're not going to be able to stop them. And again, that's why I talk about they're playing a di- by different roles because they're playing a different game here. What, I, what, what this is, again, if we're dealing with these amulets, they were interreligious. That goes against everything demonology teaches. You will not have a Jewish rabbi employing Egyptian hieroglyphics. They are. And so, again, this, this, this ties into the whole narrative of who are we really dealing with here? 
you know, when people like, there was one case study I read two years ago and I just kind of shut all my research down, went to Rhode Island uh, because this lady was in the middle of an abduction. She felt these entities in her room and starts to pray in mid sentence and mid prayer, her eyes roll back in her head and they take her in mid sentence. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. <clears throat> right? So, so what's really going on here? I, I think that they are the ones that are limiting our vocabulary. They want us to, to kind of, you know, UFO, UFOlogy stay in your corner, demonology stay in yours. And as long as these experiencers, as long as history is never able to articulate its own trauma, modernity will never be able to say, hey, listen, I feel the same way. We're, we're all experiencers here. I mean, did they ever say exactly which symbols? Uh, you were talking with, about the Egyptian symbols. Uh, we, we still haven't found a translator yet. They were, we know they're Egyptian hieroglyphics. I have pictures of them. Uh, one thing that's interesting, too, I want to point out here. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm one who uh, is of the, the thought that these beings are one and the same. It's called the unified field theory. Here's why. Because whatever the dimension they exist in, they're attacking us from that dimension first. Let me go to this point. Ian Stevenson, one who worked with individuals who had past lives, they have memories attached to the wounds on their body. So the death wound, it's almost as if the death wound of the first body affected the soul that was in it. And then when the soul that was in it steps into a new body, it manifests on the skin. There's a soul-to-skin connection in this field of study, okay? Just like the subdermal manifestation occurred with this remote viewer, same phenomenon, same phenomenon, because it's subdermal first, and it's not like someone, somebody scratches, it's on top through. This is coming from inside to the surface of the skin. Now, in hauntology, I've had cases just like that. I was working with a lady who sent me a picture of her daughter who was attacked by a malevolent entity. And they watched. First, it was a burning sensation. Then from underneath the skin, subdermally, it moved to the surface. Again, what does this point to? It's not just as they're playing by different rules, as they're playing a different game. It speaks to the soulish dimension being tapped into first. And a lot of these people, that's also, oh man, that's also why Betty Luca experienced the same phenomenon. When she was out of body, I'm talking, dude, I'm talking uh, about Bob Luca hearing a noise in the room, rolling over at two o'clock in the morning and watching her apparition get peeled out of her mortal frame and they captured her. And then when she returned back into her body, her skin manifested whatever they did to the soul. It was back embodied. Then her skin begins to manifest. This is unbelievable. Can I, talk, can I get down this, this little road here, man? Yeah, go for it, man. <laughs> because, okay. you know, where, where this road is leading me is I want to, I want to say then what the hell kind of deceptions being played on this whole country with the UFO hearings and right. 
that whole report that came out in June. I mean, is this some kind of a game? They're vetting people. Things are playing, and now it's going to be on a worldwide stage. Is this is this the end game for them? But we we can go there. Yeah. You you keep going down your road, and, and we'll jump back into that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so getting into, and I know, I know people don't want to be religious, but I think that we need to define our terms here. I'm a religious demonologist. That doesn't mean I'm religious. That goes with demonology. In other words, I study demonology through the religious lens. I had people believe that I worship demons. And I said, well, if a demonologist worship demons, does an oncologist worship cancer? What about a proctologist? What does he worship? (laughs) Well, I mean, go out on the road and you'll find all kinds of proctologists then. Yeah, as long as, you know, and I, I hate to say it, most of those people are from people I grew up with, and it's just blast. It's like, when did we just lose all abilities here? Um, anyway, so so uh, dealing with this aspect of, of the soul first, skin second, biblical antiquity, it wasn't even just the Old Testament. See, the Old Testament is a, it's kind of, um, it's like a blend of various legends that are all originated in different parts of that portion of the world. They all have, and so, so you have what's called uh, migratory loan words, right? Where did you get that word from? I got it from that culture over here and all that stuff. Uh, one of this, one of these ideas is leprosy. This is, this is going to blow your mind. So, so leprosy, even to Christians, leprosy is the modern, modern day Hansen's disease, right? We, we kind of make it modern. It's the Hansen's disease. It's leprosy. That's not what leprosy was. According to the ancient mind, we're talking about Mesopotamia, Levant. That's not what leprosy was. Matter of fact, leprosy was a spiritual condition first. (laughs) And so in Ezekiel chapter 13, Yahweh talks about a specific necromancer species that they called soul hunters. And they were also called false prophets. And so what was happening in that that window of history was that there were people that were meeting these false prophets, these necromancers. And these beings, these things were giving them in the Hebrew tongue what's called Lashon Horah. It wasn't just evil, but it was a false prophecy. Right. And the way false prophecy works is I'm going to give you something that's true enough to give you something that's a lie. The idea is that it's going to be a hook. I'm going to bait and switch. Right. You're going to be on the hook because you believe I'm telling you the truth until I want something from you. And then all that stuff manifests. What was happening in the Old Testament, and not just then, but other manuscripts, Assyrian, Akkadian, Phoenician, was that everybody, there were people being abducted by these entities, and these beings were presenting themselves as deity, presenting themselves as prophetic. And so what they were doing, though, is they were affecting the soul. And what was happening in biblical antiquity is when these people were removed from these entities, from the soul to the skin, hello, UFO abduction phenomenon, manifested ancient leprosy. And then upon that, they would go present themselves to the priest. Now, here we go. Here's a kicker. And that priest would would cleanse them from corpse pollution. Because they believe that whoever these guides are, are corpses. They're dead people. They're disembodied. So whatever, whoever they are, it does appear to to be that they are in that soulless dimension. 
just like us, they have created bodies to inhabit. They have the disability of being, right? And they're trying to replicate. Man, I think I know why Michelle was asking about the uh, the hieroglyphs because I'm curious. Did did you happen to find out? Did they spell out anything? Did they say anything? It was just an arch. There were just, it was about six six letters, six letters. The arch. Okay. Uh, now the only reference I have had uh, of that, and this gets again. You know, we began the show tonight talking about what an angel is, right? How did it become an angel? All that. The, the ghost of a man is made from the flesh of a god. A Brahman the mage encountered these things, these beings. But he encountered them uh, by virtue of encountering angel magic. And so while he was performing his Kabbalistic rites, his uh, rituals, he, tell, he tells us in his writings that uh, he doesn't perform angel magic, but he's met people who do. And guess what they would use? Egyptian hieroglyphics. Now, the reason demonology has failed is because we're so compartmentalized, right? We're looking at it through one lens. I'm Christian. I'm not Muslim. I'm Muslim. I'm not Jewish. Or, you know, I'm not study Jesus. That's not the rules they're playing by. They're using amulets almost like a mathematical equation against us and then placing people back into their bodies. And, and let me say this. We have abduction accounts where people didn't even realize they were out of body. You know, so, so everything's on the table. But my main point here, guys, is uh, even with Jack Parsons and Crowley, it does appear to be some form of esotericism at work here. Now, what does that mean to us? Well, I'll tell you what. It should mean a lot. Because according to Diana Walsh Pasuka, we have people right now in our government who are going out into the desert exactly where Parsons' uh, area was that he performed his rituals. It was in New Mexico. And they're performing the same rituals he is, he was. It's called the Parsons technique. They're doing that. They're doing that. And, and according to the Collins Elite Research, that they're getting apports. They're getting technology manifested in them to the point that Travis Taylor is bringing people out there. I think she even took Diana Walsh Pasuka and said, this is the gifting place. Is it? Right? Because at what point, Travis, at what point, at what point, they're going to shut that door, just like with Edward Kelly and John D. Everything was cool, man. They were getting the Enochian language. Everything was fine until he convinced them to swap wives. When they did that, as soon as they did that, the very next day, the entity mutated, laughed at them. It was a game. I don't know. Well, that's where I was <laughs> going to go, man. That's That was the next question on the list is, you know, we kind of chatted a little bit uh, privately about mm -hmm. this Collins elite. And, mm -hmm. and I refrained from digging into it too much and now not only did you bring up Luis Elizondo but now you bring up this new controversial figure which as soon yep. as you say Travis Taylor everybody's thinking Skinwalker Ranch and then there's <laughs> this latest controversy with him where and what I was talking about with the the government report on UFOs and then this hearing and it seems that he was one of the main writers of this report as the chief, quote unquote, chief scientist behind this. 
But then there's this this underground group, which I think you're kind of hinting at this Collins elite. Can you please fill us in on this and what is going on within our government Uh, body here? This gets very, very dark. Um, So there was a a group in our government called the Collins elite. And uh, by most measures, you know, they had some form of religious background. And so they were, uh, what's it called? Oh, God. Yeah, they were physicists. I was going to say physicians. <laughs> they were physicists that worked for the Department of Defense. And uh, this is Nick Redfern's work, by the way. Thank God he came out with a book about it. Anyways, they reached out to an Anglican minister and said, hey, listen, we want to go grab some lunch. and We want to kind of talk to you about what we've been researching and uh, maybe you can add to what we've come up with. And so they sat down and said, okay, you know, we're scientists, man. You know, we're, we're physicists. We're, we're materialists for the most part. And they said, but we wanted to, uh, independent of the government, but within it. So it wasn't financed, right? It wasn't like, you know, but anyways, he said basically that we're a group within the government and we're studying the UFO abduction phenomenon uh, through the lens of demonology. What, what, if any, connections does it have with this this research and so they they reached out to various abductees and so they studied the nde aspect of it they studied the obe aspect of it they had one gentleman by the name of paul garrett who was uh, just a painter he played guitars on the weekend for fun at, at bars and stuff and didn't believe in god or anything and uh he was in i think it was a motorcycle accident and this is one of their case studies. He said that he was out of his body and he looked up and he saw these pulsating UFOs and that they were hovering over a mass of people. And then all of a sudden they would, they would just pulsate and then a small ball of light, we would call that an orb or, you know, they're not all dust, I've seen, you know, but uh, out of the body and then that person would be essentially dead. And he said, but they were doing this by the hundreds abducting the soul and he said it terrified him and then once he got back into his body he converted to christianity and said look i don't want anything to do with that and so they studied that aspect of it they uh they reached out to sybil league which is a, a witch uh she's dead now but she was a contemporary a later contemporary to crowley she was from britain and crowley would go to her cottage and you know eat dinner and perform his rituals with her but they went to her and said, okay, you know, can you imagine that? Not, not, it's the Collins of the League. We want to talk to you. Um, they <laughs> sat down with her. <laughs> they sat down with her and asked her, they said, uh, can you contact these things for us? And uh, she's, he's like, because we, they're like, we, we know Crowley contacted them. And they look an awful lot like these aliens that are telling us they're ETs or whatever. So can you contact them? And so one day she turned all the lights off, lit candles. Went into a trance, and a Babylonian deity came through. Mocked them, mocked them, laughed at them, and scolded them, and said, "You fools! You think we're you think we're ET?" He said, "Because that's what that, that that's our latest mask. That's what it was. That's our latest deception. Don't you know we're full in the world?" And so then, when she came to her senses, it was almost like, "Who was that? I did not anticipate that. That wasn't one of my familiars." What's going on? And so they jotted that down too. 
Uh, so, you know, they, they went into calling, uh, they went into uh, Parsons research. Uh, they had access to a, uh, read that, this is interesting, a top secret memo that led them to, that led them to believe that in, that, that officials at the Wright Pat Air Force Base in Dayton, where I live, that officials at that base were performing the Parsons technique and were actually apporting and manifesting metallic objects. They came up with that. And uh, basically what they said was that these individuals that were performing esoteric rites to contact the phenomenon, they were doing so not in the same, not with the same ideology and intentions as, as Parsons did. They really believe we are at law, a loss here. We cannot control them. We do not have prisons that are built for their existence. We can't shoot them with a gun, right? We cannot do anything. And so their idea was that perhaps they'll give us enough information where we can kind of back engineer it. And that'll give us at least some form of ability to, to withstand them. Uh, but even then, they came to the realization that, that at the end of it all, yes, they will allow themselves to be used. But when they come knocking on your door, they're not going to ask for permission. Yeah, you know, you may unlock it, but they'll just walk through either way. That's what they came up with. Do you know, was this the group that Luis Elizondo always hints to that? Yes. This is demonic. This is, you know, esoteric. This is not alien kind of thing that he said he always ran into. Yes. Yes. And I think he drops hints. Like when he talks about kidnappings. Yeah. That's a, that's a Collins elite motif. They call them kidnappings for a reason because they are kidnappings. They are kidnapping people and souls for that matter. You know what I mean? Uh, but yes, I mean, when he talks about the somber moment, absolutely. Uh, off air, I've talked to a couple of people who told told me, and it's fascinating in private what their what the pilots are really seeing. You know, let me let me say this: what, what's so fascinating about Bud Hopkins' research is not just that he was great, a great researcher; it was how he vetted experiencers. Okay, now what he would do is he would employ some form of deceit, but it was for a reason that was kind of intelligent. I should say, I was going to say admirable but I don't want people to jump down my throat. <laughs> what he would do is he would go to conferences. He would do lectures and he would say from the pool or from the platform, whatever the lectern, Hey, you know, there, there are, uh, some of these UFOs has have symbols on them. <clears throat> That's true. But then in his lecture, he would have a screen, green screen, whatever he show, he put his little slideshow up there. And the symbols that he showed the crowd were not the symbols he had in his archive. Why? So that if somebody who was just, you know, joking or fraudulent or just wanted to be, you know, have her five minutes of fame or whatever, would go up to him and say, I found those same symbols. He would say, I just made those up. Now, from time to time, if you, if you could ask him back in the day, he would tell you straight up. Now, I never gave symbols out, but there were more than a pe dozen people throughout his 35, 40 years of research who came knocking on his door and said, hey, I don't know what kind of symbols you have, but hey, what are these? Right. So in a way, he was employing a technique where it was dece deceiving, but it was also telling us the truth. Now, what are the, what's the government doing? They're telling us for sure. They have UFOs, at least on camera, photography, video, may even have crashed remains. But the stuff they're putting out there, it's almost like they're vetting real witnesses. Exactly. Because 
what I what I was told in private was, yeah, like they had uh, one pilot was flying and something came down next to him and he defecated. It scared him to death. And so it's almost like the government is trying to shield that knowledge while vetting other real experiencers. Uh, that's occurring. Also, a good friend of mine used to work for DARPA. A lot of this stuff is our technology. It is. And he and it's funny because he, he was the one of the guys that killed the uh, Chinese drone. Thing. He called it out like, you know, hey, listen, those are Chinese drones. We know that. We have known that. Uh, and so what we do have, again, just like the NDE and, you know, people that are dying and, and really do meet their ancestors at death, there's the real which is the real phenomenon. And then there's something coming back and saying, hey, listen, we're going to piggyback on that. And what's the best way? They're going to tell people that, you know, hey, that was our technology. We're going to put it out there as just an alien. So they're both existing. Uh, I guess my main point here is, is just like uh, Bud Hopkins, what, did the, what does the government have in their archive? I mean, if, that's, if, that's, if we think that's alien, what did they really have that they're not telling us? I mean, I, I just heard one of our, a friend of mine and one of our previous guests talking about frequencies and just how certain sound frequencies can make you feel a certain way. There can, there can be frequencies that are below a certain hertz that your body will feel that you can't hear and it can cause immediate fear and things like that. I mean, so there is a technology out there that we know of that that happens. And I think that was probably well known way into ancient times as well. I mean, a, a right. study of frequency and understanding. With all of the naysayers and those who question, what would you say to people who think that these things don't exist or are not malevolent? Well, that's a good question. Well, I think that uh, any time a woman is inseminated without her permission, that's kind of malevolent. You know, and I'm, I'm being I'm being facetious because and it's not towards her. I think it's a great question. It's towards researchers that kind of gaslight victims because I deal with that in private. I deal with that. Oh, pat, pat, pat. that didn't really happen to you. You're misinterpreting it. Does it make sense? Michelle, does it make sense? I'm not trying to. You understand oh, what I'm no, saying? absolutely. Okay, okay good, good. Because let's, let's dive down into that rabbit hole real quick. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, the idea here is, again, that we have people, the same people that are saying they're not a threat are locking their doors at night. Right. And here's what we do have for a fact at least we have we have kids being abducted by clowns. They're not really clowns. We have Catholics being abducted by Mother Mary. That's not really Mother Mary. We have Christians being abducted by Jesus, but it's white Jesus and it's not the Hebrew rabbi in biblical antiquity. Again, the idea is not that I'm going to present you something that's accurate, according to history. The idea is, hey, listen, what would you believe? And I put this on Twitter and it gives me chills and it just makes me want to drink a 12 pack. Not that I'm a heavy drinker. I'm not, but I'm telling you, <laughs> right. Oh my God. Because it's not that they, it's not just that they know what we believe in. It's that they know what we would find worthy of believing in. You know, it's, it's like, okay, we, we have experiences now where, you know, that was mother Mary that, that abducted me. Well, what did mother Mary say? Well, the Virgin Mary, Mother Mary, told me that Allah is God. When in the history of the Bible, the Holy Writ, when has she ever taught that? Right? Never, ever. Matter of fact, even in Egyptology, Ra, in Hebrew theology, Ra is evil. That's a definition of it. 
right? So, so what are we dealing with here? Uh, it's almost like a, a species that does mimic and mirror just our beliefs and our memories. And, and again, it's just a, it's, it's a hoodwinking object. Uh, but, you know, getting back to this narrative of the non-threat, uh, it, would you consider it a threat if your neighbor kidnapped your child? I mean, let's just be really honest here. You know, there are a lot of researchers. Right, right. They think that, you know, you need to sit there and I'm going to use this word, philosophize. we got to philosophize ourselves out of them being a threat. No, we don't. No, we don't. We just have to sit there. Again, they want to bypass our senses because they know if we saw them for who they are, I don't want anything to do with that. Nope. Be Jordan Peele, right? That's the movie. Nope. Uh, but okay, we, we, we would never trust, you know, no, we don't lock, lock our doors at night. We have a lock on our phone. You know what I mean? We lock the door when we use the restroom. We wear clothes because we don't want to be vulnerable. And yet these beings are walking through walls and peeling souls out of bodies. What, what are we really doing to it? And I'll tell you what I discovered is that researchers who have experienced this too are convincing themselves as well that it's not a threat. Because if I can convince you it's not a threat, I can convince myself it isn't either. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what are we really dealing with? Betty Luca, Betty Luca had one of these, Betty Luca had one of these things walk through a wall and press pause on her entire family. They were in suspended animation as they walked up to her and stared in her eyes. Who do we think, right? Well, what's really going on here? And I think a lot of these researchers are complicit in the deceit. That is really Jesus. Okay, really? Because that... Maybe they're promised that they're going to be famous. They're going to be the next big researcher on TV. Or, you know, they're looking for the next big headline to put out there about UFOs. Or, you know, whatever the the draw might be that it, it... You're right. These things will play to your ego... And then the people around you are the ones that play victim. And then they come for you to collect. Right. Because everybody wants to know Dr. Phil. Nobody wants to know Hannibal Lecter. Right. Well, I know. You know what I mean? That's really, I think uh, that plays a lot into this, what we're talking about. Uh, But yeah, the threat narrative is, is exactly what it sounds like. It's not fabricated. You know, there's, there, there's researchers out there now that I just, it, it gets me all worked up and it's almost like I just want to quit everything, delete everything and just go and live my life. Because, you know, we have people like women and I, I've been in the presence. Like I, I had one case where these beings were, were you know, working the incubus program where it was manifesting as a male entity trying to inseminate a, a housewife. And uh, I get the phone call, you need to, you know, or the email and so we get on the phone and the wife starts crying. The husband's like, look, I don't even believe in this stuff. I go there and I'm in the kitchen and you feel this foreboding darkness that's just there. It's heavy. It's thick. And the house, the wife is grabbing, white knuckled, grabbing the table. The dishes are banging, clinking. And she's crying. And the husband's like, I don't even believe any of this. I think she's lying. And then two months later, I go there again. And the husband had Bell's palsy. Because as he was sleeping at nighttime, this entity laid between him and his wife. And he told he told it, I don't know who you are, but I'm going to deal with you. And then he falls asleep. And then this thing hurt him. He had he suffered head trauma, went to the hospital the next day. And they had said, well, what happened to you? Well, I suffered head. They, they, I don't know. So I, 
thought I was sleeping and then something, it felt like someone just balled their fist up and hit me in the head. Well, yeah, you have head trauma, you have Bell's palsy. This could be permanent, we don't know. You know, I've been in the presence of people who, who other researchers are gaslighting to the point, to the extent, the blasphemous extent of saying, listen, I know they did A, B, and C to you. I'm talking about some pretty sick stuff. But it was all of it was all your perception. If you looked at it differently, maybe you would come to your senses. What? You know, it, it boggles my mind. It's 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 it gets me into all like a, it's just it's unbelievable. Well, what bothers uh, me is that these things are the 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 first thing. I'm not as far as I'm concerned. It is a threat. Okay, mechanical. Let let's right. just say nuts and bolts. You do have these craft flying around or whatever. When is there going to be some type of a midair collision? Right. Okay. Right. Let, let let's just start there. Everything's materialistic, physical. Okay, fine. Eventually, we have over a million people at any one time flying in the air on this planet in some kind of an aircraft. So, chances mm-hmm. are that could possibly happen. Now, of course, their technology is so great and everything that they're never going to run into an airplane. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. The problem I have is the covert, the covertness of these things. You oh, know, God. I, I just, I got- if, if somebody's standing on your lawn and you don't know why they're there and then they just disappear and then maybe they show up a couple days later and they're just standing there. Or they, they show up and they're standing in your living room and they then they disappear. They right, right. You don't know why they're there. You don't know if, uh, if you don't know what their purpose is. To me, somebody invading your space and invading your house or pulling you out of your body at that point and abducting you is a threat. I don't know how else you would describe a threat and these people right. that we've had on here and I love them to death. And I know they mean well, who've been abducted and they say, well, they've, they gave permission in a different life, right? <laughs> uh, at some point in your, in a previous life, you gave permission for them to appear to you. If I don't recall it, then what difference does it make? As far as I'm concerned, I didn't give right now in this incarnation in my body right now, I didn't give any of these things permission to show up in front of me and my wife in a giant flying triangle and scare the living bejesus out of us. Right, right, right. And propel us into Uh, this. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I got it, man. And it's just, it frustrates me to no end. Let me, let me throw some things out here that will really, really grieve you, really grieve you. I mean, like, some of the stuff keeps me up at night. Number one, Dr. Carla Turner had a case study. It was a woman who oh, was taking a nap in the middle of the day. One of these things walked into her room. Didn't matter if the door was unlocked. They would have done it if it was. Doesn't matter. People are like, oh, well, no, I gave them consent. Okay. Okay, let's hypothesize for a fleeting moment and act like we're not uninitiated, okay? Let's just act like we're uninitiated here. Does a robber, go? does he not go through an unlocked door? 
No, we'll go through it. We'll go through it just like you would a locked door. The idea is I, I have access to you whether you want me to or not. Just like this, this, this uh, experience here Dr. Cole Turner was working with, a lady taking a nap in the middle of the day on her sofa, bam, walk, walks through a wall in this being that was fuzzy, it had, it had cloaked itself, goes on to assault her in a way that's the most painful. Let's put it like that. That's not a threat. In what world? Well, you misinterpreted it. No, you can't misinterpret that. And again, the same people who are telling us that to not to, to, to look at these beings who can peel the soul out of children, to, the same people that are telling us they're not a threat are the same people that put locks on their phone, the people that have passwords to their social media. It, it's, 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 too, it's so verbose. It's just like, what in the world? Another thing, getting back to this nuts and, nuts and bolts aspect of it, my brother is uh, he's a programmer, and I'm not going to mention the group. But I'm going to say something and read into this because this is horrifying. He said that uh, they were placing cameras in a certain part of the country, thousands, thousands. And they were watching through them at all times. And they were collecting data, photos, videos, all that stuff. They had one, I saw the video of it, one thing, that one ship that just comes in existence, flies out of existence, gone. Could be a cloaking mechanism. I don't know. That's not what worries me. It was the photo of some form. It was almost a life form. But it had conformed itself to where it looked like it had wings like a plane. What are we dealing with here? Dear God, I got chills. What are we dealing with here? And it looked like a plane just enough. God, I got chills. And then then when they zoomed in on it, my brother said, we realized that is not a plane at all. But it had mirrored itself to us. You want to talk about a somber moment? Well, then it brings into question all of this stuff, like people that have said that they've seen Mothman. Right. Bigfoot. This could be all one in the same. And that could be the tie-in between the the UFO, cryptid, paranormal, mm-hmm. the, the whole tie-in. And, and we've been so shut off from this understanding of this other world behind right. the veil, I guess you could say this afterlife and, and what's going on. And so, geez, I, I'm not going to sleep well tonight. I know that for a fact. It looked like, right. It, it tried its best. God help us. God help us. species To evade the cameras. And then it just conformed itself. And then that's not really what, we think it is uh, not to interrupt you, but man, I can't, I can't say that enough. Again, they're playing by different roles here because they're playing a different game. When the skin, people at Skinwalker Ranch say that they saw, I think it was in their infrared. They saw a portal open up and a creature crawl out. Yeah. We got a problem. We got a problem here and we can you sit there. You know, I know people, even friends, well, you know, they, they just did that for marketing. Well, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Because you know what I mean? If that's occurring, and if it, like you said, if these beings have the ability to just press pause on people, let me put it to you this way. Uh, Judy Doherty was another abductee that the Collins elite were working with. She said that she was in a car much like you and your wife. She, it was in daylight, though. She said she looked up and saw this metallic object. Again, the concrete. And she said as she's looking at that which she could perceive the most, 
She said, next thing she knows, she's now looking out of the ship back at her body. And so for a fleeting moment, she's in two places at once. And whatever they pulled out of her was looking at the body now. And she's staring back in her own eyes. Not a threat, though. Not a threat. Locks doors. Right? We lock our cars because we don't people. What? How vulnerable are we as a species here? And, I, and I'll stop rambling, but. Hey, dude, great show, by the way, man. You got you got me passionate. <laughs> well, well, you know, it, OK, so we've talked the dark stuff here and you've hit you've hit on something that I want to ask you now. And, and we're going to start wrapping this up. But speaking of passwords on phones, social media and locking doors, what mm-hmm. can people do to protect themselves from this? Is there anything we can do? I don't know. I don't know. Um, there are researchers like Steve Mara and Barry Fitzgerald that suggest that these beings do not like iron. Uh, I'm to the point now where I'm willing to try anything. I'm willing to try anything. The, the data for the most part is varied. We have experiencers that call on Jesus, the phenomenon stops. Uh, the case that I had was a lady who called on Jesus and he manifested and said, all seed belongs to me, and all of your children will too. And for ev- guys, this is happening. And for every child they inseminated her with, it died. Now, I'm not talking about husband and wife, you know, have whatever, you got a child. No, they inseminated it. In her. They inseminated her with it. Is this the yeah. hybridization program type right. of thing? Right, right. And so was that Jesus? Oh, right. No. Thus saith the Lord, right? I'm going to go and no, 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 no. Again, it's a program. These are not real people. The programs that they're working like a code, which one can I use? Which one can I find the most obedience in? I'm going to suggest something that, that uh, is worth thinking about. Uh, the changeling phenomenon is not, li- it's not alone. This is a, you know, it's, it's more of a historical aspect of it, but as a modern phenomenon, it's occurring. So, so we've already covered a lot of the darkness and the sinister part of it. Dr. Carla Turner had an experiencer who, when they realized that she was not cooperating with any program, you know, they went through the files, they went through the memories, they went through the beliefs. She wasn't buying it. Nah, I'm not doing that. They would try to copulate with her. Not doing that either. I don't want to. I don't want to. Suddenly, they said, okay. Go look in that corner. And she looked in the corner of the room, and there was another version of her on a table. You remember when I told you about that, that one case study where they captured the soul of that young man and said, if you don't obey us, we'll kill you? Basically, we'll kill you. We can help you now, but only if you obey us. They looked at her and said, if you do not cooperate, we will kill you. And we'll replace your body with that that's on that table. And nobody will know the difference. So I would suggest that just not everybody that's returned has made it back. Wow. Great. There's something. Michelle, is that you? Are you really you over there? Or you know, she's giving me the evil. <laughs> so like, wait a minute. That's her. <laughs> <laughs> happy anniversary baby yeah, is that really yeah. you <laughs> yes happy five-year anniversary 
All right. So let's start wrapping this up. Can you uh, let us know what do you got coming up in the future? And I know you've got the your show on the yeah, leak, leak project. project. And uh, can you fill our audience in and a little bit on, on what you're doing there and what kind of engagements you got coming up, interviews or anything like that? And how can they get a hold of you? My uh, my show with Jim Perry uh, just aired uh, Sunday. He has a show called Euphemet. Um, let me see here. I'm doing David Zublick's show on the 26th, Dark Outpost. I'll be doing his. And my show, The Ghost Notes, will be on the Leak Project channel every Thursday at 9. Where's my research going? My research is going to be uh, hopefully getting into this apparitional part of our existence and, and what they're what they're teaching during many abductions. That's where I'm at. Awesome. And our okay. final we, we've uh, got to ask the last question. One. Sure, our neighbor to the south. Um, do you have any ties to Michigan? Just a winning record. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. I love y'all. I love y'all. I'm just kidding, man. You know, that that's like people with Michigan driver's plates having OSU stickers on the back of their vehicle. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, that's a sore spot. Dude. Oh, you know that's... what, though? <laughs> You guys, you guys murdered us last year, uh, which was good, man. Our our offensive line sucked. Everything was bad. Um, it'll be a better game this year, hopefully. But that's funny. You guys set it up, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how can I not? I don't have any ties. Actually, no, I have some friends that live in uh, – I forget which part of Michigan that sometimes they come down and see me, but that's about it, brother. <laughs> All right. Awesome. We just want to say thanks a lot for joining us and we're going to go ahead and sign off for the night. So thanks a lot. All right. God bless you guys. Love y'all. See you later, man. Michelle, he got us there at the end with the whole uh, winning record thing. But other than that, I'm sleeping with the lights on tonight. Yeah, for a few nights. And you know, the one thing that really bothered me about what he had to say, what was that? Is when I asked him, what can we do to protect ourselves? Is there anything that we can do to protect ourselves from these things? And he said, I don't think so. I don't know. So. I think I'm going to start buying a bunch of crystals or something. I have no idea. Put salt around the bed on the floor. I was going to say salt and garlic. I'm serious. This stuff is creepy. And I just, this is the, this is the part of the topic that I don't like, but I thought he had some really cool explanations and research. And I think he may be onto something where all of this stuff is related that these beings have been here for a long time and like messing with our heads. And I guess that's what they do. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, The more he researches, I can't wait to hear from him again on a future episode. Yes, absolutely. All right, everybody, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here for the evening. It's been a couple hour episode already. And I think we need to, uh, get moving and get out of here. This one is uh, definitely creepy and 
I'm out. We're going to shake it off. All right, everybody. Have a great night. Have a good night, everyone. And don't forget to stick around for our new segment, Music from the Beyond, where we are featuring the heavy metal band 10,000 Teeth right here from Michigan. So remember, keep those eyes to that sky. You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters. So until next time. Just